0: Welcome to Cloud Radio, made for full-stack cloud operators. Cloud Radio covers all aspects of the business of software. Well, welcome to the show. Today, we've got Pablo Dominguez and Matt May, both from Insight Partners, large asset management firm, to say the least, with over 90 billion assets under management, and one of the largest and most active technology investors. They recently wrote a book called What a Unicorn Knows. We're going to get right into it. Do you have anything on your backgrounds you guys want to cover before we get into the book?
1: Yeah. The only thing I would add is uh, Matt and I are both former operators. So you're talking to people that have been there, done that in public companies and startups and uh, which makes the book quite practical for people to leverage since it's not an academic written novel.
2: Yeah. We've been partnering, um, you know, for over a decade, over a decade with, big companies, fortune level companies, startups, and now the Insight portfolio. So we've tested this, battle tested it, and started pointing these practices, talk about them principles toward go-to-market. So we think it's pretty practical uh, treatment.
0: Great. And I'll give folks here the recap in terms of the core principles. You guys use an acronym called SCALE, which is built off of strategic speed, constant experimentation, accelerated value, lean process, and esprit de corps. And one of the quickest things to get into is finding quick, cheap and easy ways to test ideas, kind of both under speed and experimentation. So what are quick, cheap and easy experiments people overlook?
2: Yeah. When we work with our portfolio companies on a given process, whether that's sales, whether that is post-sales, and we take them through one of our lean process optimization engagements, the going in proposition is that this is not about spending money. This is not about slapping technology on top of a faulty process. So we put them in a box right away, no additional resources, no headcount, no technology spend, no capital expense of any time, any kind. And as a matter of fact, you need to find a way to experiment with your idea in between all the other things that you have to do anyway. So that's the going in you know, value proposition. And we make that really easy for managers of a team that are facing a challenge. Let's say the challenge has to do with implementation time or time to value or quote to cash, anything like that. We'll gather the right people in the room that know that process best and we'll emerge from the day with a, a solid countermeasure or solution to a problem that they've identified based on their experience. We've calculated the business gain from it, but we have them craft up the experiment. And all we ask the manager to do is to give us a thumbs up to run the experiment. And we make that easy because it's something he or she cares about. There's no additional expense. It's the sweat equity of those that have identified the problem. So it's not a handoff, but that's kind of the long answer to the short question of how you find cheap and easy ideas and experiments to run is to look at your current process, identify an opportunity and go from there. And
0: then another question that's probably particularly relevant for our SaaS and cloud listeners, and it sounds like it's a commonality in your work with your portfolio, is that from a lean process and accelerated value perspective, a common problem is shortening the quote to cash. Could you go deeper on that?
1: Yeah. So it's very common for any commercial organization. You know, a customer wants to buy something, lead comes in. That follows a marketing process internally. Then there's a sales process internally. There's obviously the customer journey that's actually more important in terms of what they're doing. And then customer closes a deal and you know we go into implementation and then the post-sales process. And that process over time is fraught with waste, right? Because there's technical debt, there's process debt, there's human debt that gets accumulated. And so a lot of the focus that we've done with a lot of our portfolio companies and prior to being at Insight is... Streamlining that process to remove as much waste as possible. And on average, the work that Matt and I have been able to do with multiple leaders globally is always removing at least 20% of the waste in that process, right? So if you think about the impact that has is ability for a customer to start to use the solution that you've sold them more effectively, right? So higher adoption, they're obviously happy they want to potentially purchase more from you, whether it's existing product or new product. And from a company perspective, you're able to bill and generate revenue more effectively, right? So every Every minute you can remove of waste in the process is better, both for the customer and for the company.
0: And generalizing, like what are the common patterns? Like overly complicated implementation or poor onboarding. Like what are things you kind of keep seeing again and again?
1: Yeah, like implementation onboarding is probably the easiest, right? That could be because you're you're maybe what you're selling is very complex to implement, or you've made it too complex, right? So so dropping those barriers and figuring out how can I get the product in people's hands easier. But if you move upstream. We see a lot of waste in the contracting process, right? A lot of companies have a lot of handoffs between sales and finance uh, and legal, and they don't have the systems or processes to streamline that, which frustrates the reps, right? Reps want to sell clothes, get paid and move on to something else. And so removing those friction points between uh, the different functions is actually super critical. Even with customers, right? Sometimes customers are like, I thought I signed this. Why am I going back and forth with legal a million times? Or I sent something to you. Why haven't you, you know, sent me my red lines back? Not everybody has streamlined processes
0: makes sense then jumping back to the experimentation an interesting quote you guys had in the book was kind of the perils of over-reliance on data back prediction Can you elaborate on that?
2: Yeah, I think there is a difference between seeking reliability and certainty versus seeking validity. So whether we are experimenting with a strategy, whether we are experimenting with a solution such as a product, such as a process, what you're after is validity. And since you're dealing with something that isn't yet in existence, by nature, an experiment is we're going to try and see if this thing works or doesn't work. And all we need to know is that it's not a bad, idea. If you sit around in circles and try and prove before you experiment that something is going to work, you've defeated the purpose of experimentation in the first place. So um, that makes a lot of people uneasy, experimentation, because a good experiment means that you don't know if it's going to work or not. It's different than, say, a pilot where you have experimented. You've seen that, yes, this thing isn't a bad idea. So now let's iterate. Let's beef it up a little bit. Let's roll it out to the next. Team or region, or what have you. And that's more of a pilot. But all of that is around validation versus let's reliably be sure that this is going to work, dot every I, cross every T. And if you do that, you slow yourself down and you open the door for competitors. You begin to experience what we call innovation anemia.
0: And here's a scenario you might encounter like you've kind of been lagging on experimentation, idea generation. You have a younger team member or a more junior team member and they suggest an experiment you know kind of with your experience is likely to fail do you let them proceed right and honor that like initiative and spirit or do you stop that experiment in its tracks
2: you do neither you, as someone who has the experience, it's the onus is on you to ask the right questions so that they come to their own conclusion that they sort of need to rethink their idea or solution. And maybe part of that is that they don't have enough going in data to justify even talking about an experiment or an idea that way. So it's a Socratic kind of teacher coach mentality. Mm-hmm. And that's what the good managers do. It's not like we learn in school, like our teachers aren't exactly coaches, right? They're, this is the right answer. You either get it or you don't. It doesn't work that way in business. Uh, the best managers don't do that.
0: Interesting. Interesting. And how do you make experimentation part of the job, right? Is it something like the Google 20% of your time? Like what are some good processes or procedures that you've seen, you know, in your portfolio and your experience that people do to ensure people are actually doing the experimentation?
1: Probably. Yes, yeah, I fun. think <laughs> yeah, I think part of it can be like what Google does, right? And so for people who aren't aware of that, Google does allow you to allocate X percent of your time to work on specific initiatives. It might be higher depending on the department you're on. If you don't have that luxury. I think it comes down to leadership, right? And management allowing you to challenge the status quo or to kickstart initiatives that say, all right, this year, we're going to focus on these two things to improve existing processes that we know that add a lot of value to the firm. Maybe we break it up into two teams and let's see who comes up with a better solution and maybe none of them work. But I think if you don't have a firm that gives you time, I think it does come down to leadership. Otherwise, again, you know, people say like, I can't fail at work. Right, we don't have a culture of failure that comes down to culture and to leadership.
2: And I would add to that, that if you are doing OKRs correctly, objectives and key results correctly, they are are intended to be stretch in nature to the point where it's not, you can't just do the same old thing and expect to get a 20, as Pablo mentioned, a 20 to 25% lift in something. You need to think differently. And in order to think differently, I mean, innovation and learning go hand in hand. Learning comes first, that experiment comes first. And so, my answer to the question would be in addition to what Pablo said, is make it impossible not to experiment. So, set those stretch goals so that you have to think differently and innovatively. And you cannot be innovative without experimenting. There's no innovation ever, ever birthed without an experiment first.
0: That's very interesting. And then, kind of like taking it to a higher level, you've got your scale framework you know, speed, experimentation, accelerated value. Are there any commonalities in the type of founder or CEO? Like, is it a visionary or an optimizer that does best with this framework?
1: It's interesting. I don't know if there's a specific profile. But what we've seen work best is leaders that are laser focused on what the strategy is for the company and what they want their employees doing. And then those that are able to build a very strong culture and hire the right people are the ones that have been the most successful. I was just listening and our team was listening to the the podcast with Sam Altman and Lex Friedman and CEO of OpenAI mm-hmm. he talks at the end of the podcast about the importance of hiring and how he spends over 30% of his time hiring the right people, because without the right people, they could not have built chat GPT. And he doesn't know if he's spending, if that's enough time, right? So those kind of leaders, he also talks about how they spend a lot of time also making sure their goals are aligned, and that they know exactly what their priorities are, right? So I think having that prioritization on strategy, and the culture and leadership are the two elements. And, you know, Matt sort of coined something for us that, you know, people talk about, Culture eats strategy for breakfast. We strongly believe that that strategy and culture sit at the same table and eat the same meal, right? Because one without the other does not get you a complete uh, success story.
0: Great. And is that something aligned with people culture fit that you guys cover later in the book?
1: Yeah. I mean, the esprit de corps is all about that, right? Sort of the glue... That's why we have it sort of at the center, if you look at the graphic in the book of uh, the other four elements, right? Matt and I strongly believe that the culture and the people sort of glue and bind everything together. And again, it doesn't mean it's the most important element, right? None of these elements are important on their own or the most, right? Combined is what makes the best companies the most successful and people most successful. But it's why we added that in there because that special influence of people is the secret sauce to a lot of companies.
0: Perfect. And I know we've been trying to keep this episode quick. What we will do is in the show notes include a link to the book, a link to, there's a number of resources in it, which I found quite helpful, kind of worksheets, strategy canvases and the like. And so just for people out there, this is more of a, you know, like Stanford GSB level book in terms of quality. It's not that dry, but it's that authoritative. So I would really encourage you in the show notes to click on those links and review some of the tools that they're making freely available to us. So Pablo, Matt, really appreciate the time. Thank you for writing that book and thank you for being on our podcast. Thank you for having us.